I am the father of four amazing kids. I love my kids like crazy. Being a dad has been the greatest privilege of my life. I love them more than I can put into words. They know that when it's like their birthday or something and I go to try to tell them how much I love them, I often can't get it out. I start to cry. I mean, I know you look at me and you say, he seems rock hard. But no, I get all emotional and I can't talk. And so, you know, it's, it's hard for me to tell them how much I love them because the love is that deep. I really really love my kids. I mean, they, along with my, my wife, are, are these incredible gifts that God has given me. Being their dad has been the most satisfying, gratifying, fulfilling thing I've ever done. Now, can I be totally transparent with you? It has at times, not often, but at times, it has at times often been the most infuriating thing I've ever done. The most frustrating, maddening, annoying, exasperating, incensing, antagonizing thing I have ever done. Can I get a parental amen? amen. I love them. But man, they'll drive you nuts, right? When, when our kids were young, especially Courtney, she was, you know, Courtney was the firstborn, so she was kind of the experiment. Um, and so, you know, we, we, you know, you have all these plans and, and, and all the rest. And so we tried them all out on Courtney. And, uh, and so Courtney was, Courtney was tough. Like, you know, she has, had, to this day, has a spirit that does not yield well. And uh, so the thought process back in the time, I know this isn't maybe as culturally as accepted as it used to be, but the thought was, well, we could spank this out of her. And, uh, and I gave it my best shot. Um, and I said to Joan at one point, I said, I can't spank this kid anymore. I said, well, I mean, like, literally, all I come home from work every night and I spank her. Like, that's when she sees me and she goes, oh, here it comes. Um, and so we came up with other ideas to try to get her to stop. I've shared with you some of those stories over the years. One time, you know, I said, that's it. No more spanking for Courtney. I'm just putting her in her room. But you put her in her room and she'd just walk out and stick her tongue out at you. And, you know, and then I'd spank her. Um, and so... Then we decided, okay, we'll flip the knob. So I made the effort of flipping the knob so that the lock was on the outside, and I locked her inner room so she couldn't get out. I thought that would finally, I finally won. I finally put an end to it. A couple minutes later, we get a call from the neighbors, and they're going, is everything okay at your house? And we're like, yeah. And they're like, Courtney's hanging out the window screaming, help me, somebody help me, to everybody in the neighborhood. And so I spanked her again. Um, and... Here's what the Lord taught me. I remember the night it happened. I was in a room and I was about to spank her again. And uh, here's, here's, I didn't hear an audible voice or anything, but I just had this sense in my heart that, that what the Lord showed me is you're disciplining Courtney right now, not because she needs the discipline. You're disciplining her right now because you're mad at her, you're angry at her, and this is going to make you feel better. This wasn't about what was right for Courtney. It was about, in a sense, getting even because she wouldn't listen. Any parents ever come to that revelation, like at one point or another, where you start to go, I'm not spanking you now because it's good for you. I'm spanking you now because this is going to feel good. And it wasn't good when God taught me that. And so it changed the way I parented them a little bit. Uh, I, I was revealing to them not a loving, compassionate, and gracious father. I was revealing to them an angry father that got even. And so welcome to week four of I Am Who I Said I Am, where we're looking at God's great self-revelation statement in Exodus 34. 
prior to the living revelation of who Yahweh was in Jesus. This is, in the scripture, the fullest revelation of God by himself. He says, look, I have a name, and it is not God. God is a title. It is, is deity. It's like continuing to refer to him as doctor. He says, don't call me God. From now on, call me Yahweh. The scripture writers got afraid. They didn't want to break one of the Ten Commandments, so they started calling him Lord again. That's why every time you see Lord capitalize your Bible, it's actually Yahweh. His name means I am what I am or I am what I will be. That means that you can rely on him. Whatever it is he is, he will always be. And then in Exodus 34, he reveals not just his name, but what it is that he's, he is and he, what he is going to be. And so I've been asking you to memorize it. If you haven't picked up a memory card, you can pick up a mem memorization card for this verse out at the Engage Center on your way out this morning. It's really, really important. And so as part of this, I've been asking you to read it with me every week. Are you ready to read it with me? Yes. Yes. All right, let's read it like you care. Are you with me? All right. People, this is serious stuff. This is, this is God's. This is the most quoted scripture by the rest of scripture. You just heard it in Psalm 145 this morning. Let's go. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Amen. A friend of mine said to me this morning, you didn't deal with that last part of this about the punishing the children thing, and I said, come back in two weeks. Um, and we will deal with it. But for now, we're working our way piece by piece through this. Now, I don't know if you had a dad like me. I don't actually think I'm an angry dad, but, but God did teach me that one night on Courtney's bed, you were doing this, this is not help, what you're doing is not right right now. So I don't know if you had an angry dad or, or you've, you've sensed that anger issue in yourself, but this anger, uh, this angry dad, especially syndrome, it has implications first and primarily your kids. I didn't want my kids walking around in fear of me thinking, oh, whatever you do, don't get that mad, don't get that mad. You get a man in my, you don't know what he's gonna do, he might fly off the handle and just smack you. But the second, the, the second, maybe even more important thing is if you had a dad like that or maybe you've sensed that kind of anger within you, that resonates. When I tell you that story, it resonates within you because we all, in a sense, have that within us, that, that anger that kind of quickly boils over. And when we, when, because we know this about ourselves and we've seen it taught to us maybe by our dads, we assume then that just like our dad had an anger issue or I have an anger issue, God has an anger issue too. That he's like us in this. But that is not who Yahweh says he is. He says, my name is Yahweh. Let me tell you something a bit, a bit about myself. I'm slow to anger. Now, in the original Hebrew in which this was written, slow to anger is two words, erek, apayim, meaning... Believe this or not, this is how God, this is actually quite funny. God shows up. He only has a few words. He chooses to describe himself in a few words. One of the, the ways he describes himself is, he says, I am erect apayim, which is long of nostrils. The Lord your God, the great creator God, he needs to reveal himself. And here's what he wants you to know about him. He has a big nose. <laughs> that is the self-revelation of God, which is a little bit strange until you 
understand what God is trying to say about himself. You ever been really mad? You know, somebody really hacked you off? You know, you've been on the phone like you're calling Comcast, right? And you, you can't get, right? Like this is when it happens to me. Like you're like, I can't. You're going to transfer me again? I can't understand a word. <laughs> like, I, you know, it's, you get so frustrated. And what happens, right? You, you just get your, your chest sucks in some air and your nostrils flare out and then you let them have it. And God says, yeah, see, I'm not like that. That's how you get angry. That's how you do anger. That's not how I do anger. When I get mad, I don't fly off the handle. Like you, maybe on your best day, what God says is, Here's what I do. When I get angry, I take a deep breath in, and I don't just let it fly. Long of nostril, erect a pile, slow to anger. Proverbs is a book in the scripture. It's kind of in the middle of the Bible, and it's a book called the Book of Wisdom. And a recapiam comes up there a couple of times because the, the, the writer of Proverbs wants you to know that you too should have long noses. It is good, biblically, to have a long nose. Proverbs 14.29, whoever is a recapiam, which is translated here patient, has great understanding. If you, if, you, if you are long of nostril, right, if you don't fly off the handle, you have great understanding. But one who is quick-tempered, see that's the, obvious, uh, the opposite, he displays folly. Proverbs 16, better a patient and a wreck a pium person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. What, is, what does this mean? Here's what it means. You can make God angry, but you've got to try pretty hard. Really has a dual meaning if you think about it. The first is this, that God is slow to anger. That by his very nature, he is compassionate and gracious and forbearing. One translation of Exodus 34 said this. It said that he is the God who makes anger distant and he brings compassion near. God's compassion is really close. His anger is far off. This is what God is like. God is not like me or you. He doesn't have anger issues. But, 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 it's very important you understand that God does not say this about himself. Don't worry, I never get angry. He may be slow to anger, but because God is a person, not a human being, but he is a person, he has personhood, he has feelings, one of those feelings is anger. He is slow to anger, but he does get angry. And as your pastor, I just need to make sure, like I, I make, I gotta tell you that. God is slow to anger. But, but friends, understand, he does get angry. In fact, the scriptures speak over 600 times about something that we don't like to talk about, but it's called the wrath of God. Now let me show you this because it gets a little confusing and I want to make sure you understand. Psalm, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 11, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. How often is God angry? 24-7. God is angry every day. Well, how is that possible? Well, what's he angry about? He's angry about injustice. See, God is a just judge, and he's angry all the time. He's always angry over injustice. 
It's a fitting, anger for God here is a fitting emotional response to the injustice of the world. He's angry about children being sold into sex slavery. Wouldn't we agree that it would be good to have a God that is angry at injustice? The psalmist in Psalm 11 said this. He said, the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates. Not only does he hate them, he hates them with a passion. He hates God hates? I thought God was love. Well, he is. But he's really not very fond of those who do violence. Now you might go, oh, John, that's Old Testament God. New Testament God, he's much different. Remember we talked about this, right? It's like God's the old cranky father and like Jesus went off to a liberal college and came back and was like, hey man, you got it all wrong, right? And so... So we tend to think that, right? Like that, that Jesus is not, not, you know, he's a different God, but Jesus actually shows up and he says, no, no, I am Yahweh. What do we love? You know what? What Bible verse do we crochet on pillows all the time? What's our favorite Bible verse, the most famous Bible verse? John three sixteen, right? Who knows it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, it's so beautiful and there's so much truth in that. Now, that's John 3.16. Do you know what John 3.36 says? Same John, same book, same chapter. John sums it up this way. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Crochet that on a pillow. Right? Imagine going to somebody's house and going in for a nap in the guest room, and there it is, right on the bed, you know? It's like a new, a, a new evangelism tool. I mean, how do you make sense of that? He's a God of love, and he's a God of anger. Here's the deal. Here's how you start to make sense of it. It's important you get this. While we were created in the image of God, sin has done a number on us. This is why I look the way I do, right? Because I have been disconnected from the source of life, and I am dying, right? I'm becoming an older man. My knees hurt, my hair is graying, and all the rest. That is, in a sense, what's sin. But it's not just the outside of me that's broken. The inside of me is broken, too. Sin has done a number in there. And one of the ways it's really messed around with me is I, like you oftentimes, I can be a pretty angry person. The Bible, though, says that God's ways are not our ways. And here's what you need to understand if you get nothing out of this. God's anger is not like your anger. See, my anger is impatient. I fly off the handle all the time. I mean, you just, boy, cut me off on Route 80, and I, you know, you're like a mortal enemy to me. Here's the other thing you think about your anger, right? This is so true, and it's true of mine. My anger is almost always born out of the concept of being disrespected, disobeyed, slighted, offended. Somebody hurt my pride, my ego, my feelings. God, see, God's not insecure like, like Pastor John, thank God. God doesn't feel slighted. God gets angry over injustice. And speaking of justice, my anger is often not just in that the punishment often does not fit the crime. I want more than the crime. 
Anybody ever see Taken with Liam Neeson? I love this movie. I know I probably shouldn't. No need to send an email. I'm aware I probably shouldn't love this movie. But this is one of these movies I'd really just like watching. And if you've, uh, if you've seen it, it's probably because I have daughters, right? And like I can feel myself in the role, right? And if, if, raise your hand if you've seen this movie, right? Well, see, you're all bad people. Anyway, um, so, right? And so there's some, there's an element in this movie that's so good, right? Because he's like a, he's like a trained killer, right, for the, the CIA or whatever. He has this background in chasing bad guys. And they mess with the wrong guy and they took his daughter. And this is my favorite scene because you remember what's happening here? He's talking. He gets, he gets a hold of the guys that have kidnapped his daughter and are about to sell her into the sex trade. Here's what he said. Can I give you the quote? I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular, a particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I won't look for you, I won't pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. Yeah! Right? We love it! We eat it up! And then when he kills like 30 guys, right? Like snapping necks everywhere. You're like, this justice is awesome! See, our anger is like that. You take my daughter, you're, <laughs> you are gonna get it! Not just you, but like anybody that knows you. This is our anger. This is not God's anger. In fact, this is why the Old Testament, uh, uh, they, people misuse the scripture all the time. The Old Testament gives a principle, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You ever hear that? People use that to justify punishment. What God was trying to do there was actually say, no, 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 no. There is a justice to anger because what you human beings like to do in your brokenness is if somebody takes your eye, you take two back. God's justice is not like our justice. His anger is not like our anger. I like how Comer points out in his book, we have one left right at the, at the Engage Center. Um, all the small groups are working on this. He gives this uh, suggestion, uh, this definition by John Stott of God's anger. It is, quote, his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all of its forms and manifestations. I mean, do you want a God of anger? Can you believe in a God of anger? Can you love a God of anger? I mean, sure you can. If it's a God who gets angry over injustice or ISIS or slavery or oppression. But his anger isn't like ours. It doesn't come from a bruised ang ego. It's an anger that's not born out of insecurity. It's an anger that's born out of his love. When he reveals who he is in Exodus 34, right? He, he squeezes this concept of his anger between two other revelations. He says, I'm compassionate and gracious. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. But in the middle, he says, but I am slow to anger. This gets confusing in our modern world. You know why? Because we've somehow adapted a concept of God and a concept of love, which says when there's love, there is no anger. But God's anger is born out of God's love. See, in our world, we've come to believe that since God is love, he can't be angry. For a lot of people, love just now, you know, especially kind of right today, if you love, I mean, it just means tolerance. 
And so since God is love, he just must be like the most, and since he's, that's who he is, I mean, he just must be the most tolerant person ever. But as Comer points out, Elie Wiesel, many of you know, wrote Night, the great, uh, the, the great work on um, uh, being uh, interned in a German concentration camp. He wrote this, he said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And at some point, tolerance starts to slide dangerously close to apathy. Love, at least the kind of love that Jesus talked about, is not apathetic. That kind of love, the love of Yahweh, does lead to anger. Because we get angry about things we care about. Anger that is patient, just, and unselfish. That anger comes from a place of love. It comes from a father who cares about his kids. Now, I keep reminding you that this Exodus Revelation, or this Exodus Revelation 34 is a really big deal. It's all over the scriptures. The writers of the scripture keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. One example is in a little book, it's a little Old Testament book towards the end of the Old Testament from a prophet by the guy, the guy's name was Nahum. He writes a book by his own name, Nahum. And he writes a prophecy to the city of Nineveh. If you remember, we talked about the city of Nineveh a couple weeks ago. Nineveh was a horrendously evil, violent, horrible place. I mean, the stuff that was going on in Nineveh was terrible. And if you might remember, God calls this other prophet, Jonah, to go to Nineveh and to tell Nineveh, in a sense, to repent, to turn away from their sins, to turn back to God because the stench of what's going on in this city has come up to God. And, and Jonah, because he can't stand what Nineveh is, what it represents, the people, he runs in the complete opposite direction. God gets a fish involved in this. You might have heard this story, right? And Jonah winds up back in Nineveh. And he tells them, Listen, you better repent because God is going to destroy the city if you don't. And much to his shock, they repent. The scripture actually says that God repents and, and doesn't destroy the city. Now, if you remember, Jonah is not happy about this because Jonah's anger is like our anger. He was actually kind of hoping they would get theirs. And then he repeats Exodus 34 to God. Jonah says, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Yahweh? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a mercy. Here comes Exodus 34. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love, eager to turn away from destroying people. Well, Nahum now, another prophet, fast forward 150 years, same city, because Nineveh's, Nineveh's repentance was short-lived. They went right back to their old ways of violence and oppression. And in fact, they even go to war with a section of Israel and conquer it. And so Nahum says to this same city, here's how he opens his prophecy. He says, look, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and he vents his wrath against his enemies. Here comes Exodus 34, though. The Lord, takes, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpublished or unpunished. Isn't it fascinating, right? There's a quote from Jonah after God, Exodus 34 is quoted after God spares the city, and then Exodus 34 is, is used again 150 years later when God is about to judge the city. Here's why. Because, church, understand that God's default um, mood towards you, his default relationship with you is that he is gracious and compassionate. But there is a time with Yahweh. He wants you to understand this. There is a time he is slow to anger, but he gets angry. There is a time when God says, enough is enough is enough. I'm putting an end to this. This will not go on any longer. 
Here's what's interesting about Nineveh. Nineveh was a real city. By the way, they're going to put up over, over my head here a picture of the ruins of Nineveh, which were actually this city, the walls were getting rebuilt, and now ISIS is breaking down the walls of Nineveh, interestingly enough. And so about a decade later, Nineveh does not repent and continues on in, in, in its evil ways. And do you know what destroyed Nineveh? It wasn't thunder or lightning or a giant earthquake or anything like that. What happened was the Babylonian army, about 10 years later, they come in and they overrun Nineveh. Which is interesting because if you think about it, the destruction of the city was by a pagan army, which was actually the form of God's wrath. Here's why I want you to see this, because we tend to think that God is like us. He gets angry, he flies off the handle, and he like strikes you with something. Right? You ever be with somebody on a golf course, right? And they start taking the Lord's name in vain and someone will joke, oh, don't be standing next to him when the lightning strikes, right? That's how we tend to think that God gets angry, that, that he comes and just does something right away. In the small group material you guys are working through, you'll see uh, Comer points out that God has two kinds of wrath. There's two ways his anger plays out, active anger and passive anger. You see active anger in scripture. New Testament story about Ananias and Sapphira lying about their giving to the church, right? And God kind of does it kind of. He does. He strikes them both dead instantly. That's God's active anger. But that's the exception to the rule in the Bible. The vast majority of the time that you read about God's wrath, it's his passive wrath. God does not act, and that's his judgment. In a sense, when he just lets us be. Maybe you see it best here in Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Furthermore, just as they didn't think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. See, this is, this is God's wrath, but it is his passive wrath. This is God saying, okay, all right, have it your way. And God takes away his hand of blessing, his hand of, his hand of coverage, and, and he allows to happen what happens in sinful, broken worlds. Babylonian armies conquer. Marriages get wrecked by adultery. Minds get warped by pornography. I love how Comer put it in the book. He said, we think that when a guy gets caught in an affair, when he gets found out, that that's God's wrath. Sin will find you out, right? Your mom and dad ever tell you that? Comer says, I don't think that's God's wrath. He said, I think that's God's mercy. God's wrath is when he gets away with it because the worst thing that can happen to us in our brokenness, in our sin, is that God just gives us what we want and our minds get warped and bathed in it. God is slow to anger. He's not quick to anger. But after, with Nineveh, after 150 years, after sending Jonah, calling the city to repentance, decade after decade, letting Israel get conquered, at some point, God goes, enough is enough is enough. I, I'm going to let you be. Now, Yahweh shows up in the form of Jesus. 
He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. But Jesus talks a lot about judgment. You know the story, Matthew chapter 21. Jesus enters Jerusalem, the whole city stirred and asks, who is this? The, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Jesus enters the temple courts and drives out all of those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the, bench, the benches of all those who were selling doves. See, all of us have that picture of Jesus with the lamb on our wall. Who has the picture of Jesus with a whip on their wall? Nobody. Here's what happened. If, if you know the story, you would have to come because of the Levitical law. You'd have to come to the temple with, say, a lamb to sacrifice to Yahweh. Maybe you'd walk two or three days just to get there. And, and you took your best lamb because the Torah said it had to be without defect. And when you finally got there with your prized possession, the temple priest would inspect your lamb and say, Oh, I'm sorry. This lamb isn't good enough. But we just happen to have one for sale right over here that's pre-approved. And we, we'd be happy to sell it to you. Or maybe you came from far away. Maybe you came all the way from Rome and you couldn't drag a lamb with you that long. So you said, well, when I get there, I'll just buy it. And so you go into the temple and you're ready to buy the pre-approved sacrificial lamb, which is already a ripoff. And then you go to buy it and they go, oh, oh Roman money? Oh, we don't take Roman money here. You're going to have to go over to my buddy next door, my, the, the cart next door here. He'll change that money for you into temple money. Then you can come over here and buy my overpriced ram. And what does Jesus do? He gets really mad. Like whip in hand, chasing people around, flipping tables mad. Why? Because he's facing in, in nauseating injustice and he's living. Here's the deal. We like Ricky Bobby, like we like baby Jesus, right? Christmas Eve Jesus. I don't like Jesus. I don't like my Jesus with a whip. But how else is Jesus supposed to feel? I mean, anger is the mature, emotionally healthy response to this kind of defamation. And understand, Jesus, Yahweh is slow to anger. We read that story and we, we think, think about this. You think Jesus went in there and was like, holy cow, look what's going on here. And he goes nuts. Jesus has been showing up at the same temple since he was born. Started teaching in it when he was 12 years old. He'd been there a million times. Over the last three years, he had been saying to these people, you got to cut it out. You got to stop this. You got to stop this. And eventually, church, understand there's a time eventually where Yahweh, he is slow to anger, but eventually Yahweh says, enough is enough. Jesus' anger, like Yahweh's, is born out of love. When you see somebody in pain, when you see flagrant cruelty and injustice, you get angry and do something. What's the scripture teach? 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, is there any scripture anywhere that says that God is wrath? No. Because God, love is an attribute of God. It is what he is. But God, his wrath is not an attribute. It's a response to his love and to the evil in the world. Now, I don't know what you needed to hear from this message today. Maybe you're here because you need to hear that God is slow to anger. Because you've been taught or maybe you believe he's like you or your dad and you think in your mind because you're like this or your dad like this, it was like this, that he's just ready to pounce. 
Right? He's the God with the big stick. He's frustrated with you. He's disappointed and discouraged and angry. He's just waiting for you to step out of line. Because he's, you know, Joan and I were at the beach this year, and I was watching a father discipline his son, and and he was the kid. I forget he had done something, and he yanked that kid by the arm and was just screaming at him. And it was just breaking our hearts as we watched this father do this to this little boy. And maybe, maybe that's in your mind who Yahweh is. This is not who Yahweh is. He wants you to know he is not like that. He does not feel that way towards you. Nor is he so insecure that he wants to pour out wrath on you because it's going to make him feel better. That is not who he is. God is love. And he is slow to anger. However, he does get angry. And maybe you've come to believe, along with kind of the cultural norm of our days, that, oh, God, that gets angry. Come on, John, that's so unsophisticated. We've moved past that. God doesn't get angry. See, maybe you need to hear that God is slow to anger. Maybe you've gotten yourself so caught up in sin that you're just kind of so flippantly not caring about what you do, where you go, what you see, who you're with. Oh, John, all those commandments, they're so passe. We're enlightened people now. Everybody's doing it. You started to think that, that there's no need for accountability. God doesn't care about what I do with my boyfriend or what I do with my money or what I do with my spouse or, or what, I, what I do with my eyes. He does. He does. He hates sin because of what it does to his people. Listen, God is slow to anger, but he does get angry. There is a time coming where there will be an ultimate final judgment when Jesus will put all evil to right. But in each of our lives, we have to understand that God's anger, likely passive, though sometimes active, it is part of our relationship and it is born out of his love. Just like any good father, eventually he will love you enough to get angry and to discipline and to bring justice. And finally, there is this. Hear me this. Hear me on this. God is compassionate. Are you? God is gracious. Are you? And God is slow to anger. Are you? Because man, this is a huge issue for us today. I have to tell you, I see it more in men than I do in women, so I'll speak a little bit more directly to the men right now. So many of us have anger problems. We are angry people. The slightest thing sets us off. Husbands, let me ask you a very honest question. If I got your wife alone and said, would you tell me, is your husband slow to anger? What would she say? If I, if I was with your kids on the playground and I said, hey, you know, tell me about your dad. Would you say he's slow to anger? Oh, no, my dad, I gotta be careful. What about those who work for you and with you? Here's what Jesus' brother James wrote. Bring the band up. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger, right? This is our kind of anger. It does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Yanking somebody's arm and letting them have it 
being of short nostril does not produce anything good. He concludes, be patient. That word patient is the translation, the New Testament, it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew word erect, apiam. James says, be like Jesus. Have a big nose. Brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Patiently, arecopiam, waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient, be of long nose. And stand firm because the Lord is coming near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Understand this, guys. Jesus, James is saying, Jesus is coming back. The day of judgment will come. Yahweh's going to deal with all of this stuff. You don't need to. You don't got to spray anger all over your wife or your husband or your kids or your work. Be slow to anger. Compassionate and full of grace, patient and forbearing. Just like Yahweh because your view of God, understanding who he is, that he is slow to anger. Church, lean into Yahweh. Come before Yahweh. Press into Yahweh. Know the truth about who he is. Embrace it. Reflect on it. Pray over it. Let your nose grow a little bit. And become slow to anger like Yahweh.